0: Turn now, if you will, in your Bibles to Nahum chapter 2. Nahum chapter 2, found on page 994 of your pew Bibles. The scatterer has come. He has come up against you. Man the ramparts. Watch the road. Dress for battle. Collect all your strength. For the Lord is restoring the majesty of Jacob. Jacob. As the majesty of Israel. For plunderers have plundered them and ruined their branches. The shield of his mighty men is red. His soldiers are clothed in scarlet. The chariots come with flashing metal on the day he musters them. The cypress spears are brandished. The chariots race madly through the streets, they rush to and fro through the squares. They gleam like torches, they dart like lightning. He remembers his officers, they stumble as they go, they hasten to the wall, the siege tower is set up, the river gates are opened, the palace melts away, its mistress is stripped and she is carried off, her slave girls lamenting, moaning like doves and beating their breasts. Nineveh is like a pool whose waters run away. Halt, halt, they cry, but none turns back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. There is no end of the treasure or of the wealth of all precious things. Desolate, desolation and ruin. Hearts melt and knees tremble. Anguish is in all loins. All faces grow pale. Where is the lion's den? The feeding place of the young lions, where the lion and the lioness went, where his cubs were, with none to disturb. The lion tore enough for his cubs and strangled prey for his lionesses. He filled his caves with prey and his dens with torn flesh. Behold... I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will burn your chariots in smoke, and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall no longer be heard. As we return to this short book of Nahum, as I mentioned earlier, this is a book that is speaking of the coming destruction of Nineveh. And we looked in chapter 1 and we saw how at the very outset it seemed to be a vision that was describing the ultimate end of all sinners, that it was an apocalyptic view of the coming of the end of the day of judgment of the Lord. But now we're dealing with the specifics related to Nineveh itself. And so, as we look at our passage tonight, we'll be looking at three things. One, how it is that God invites his enemies to prepare for war. Second, we will see pictured here God's real military might. And thirdly, we see here how God humbles the king and his pride in more ways than one. So at the very outset here, as we look at these First two verses, God, as he addresses this once great nation, this proud capital city of Nineveh, he uses a little bit of sarcasm in his address to them at the outset of Nahum chapter 2. First, he announces that one is coming up against them, the scatterer, and we have here in view that one who is the conqueror. And he's pictured for us in the book of Revelation as a conqueror. That one who rode the white horse who bore upon his head the crown is one that we might think of here as we contemplate this one who is given the task by God of scattering his enemies. That Jesus Christ rides forth in power. And as this scatterer is put before us, God taunts this once mighty and proud nation, this once confident king. He says, do all that you will to prepare for the arrival. I recently have been listening to a book. It's basically the biography of uh, Robert Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer is that one who is known as the father of the atomic bomb. And when that atomic bomb in the midst of World War II was being constructed, and it was nearing its completion, there was division that arose amongst the scientists as to how and in what way it should be utilized, should it be used. There were others that were saying, we need to in advance of dropping that bomb upon Hiroshima, that we need to first drop leaflets alerting them to the reality of this new weapon of great destruction, that they might be removed from that area that was to be and was decimated by it. And yet there was a lot of pushback against that idea. What if our enemies only withdrew the things that they needed and left civilians in that place and so ultimately there weren't leaflets dropped and that fateful day arrived and countless thousands perished as a new weapon was unleashed well here here is god inviting his enemy To prepare those who once thought their military forces were without equal anywhere in the world. You remember the tauntings of those who came to the wall of Jerusalem and taunted those who were upon the wall, sought to instill fear in the heart of God's people, saying, What other nation around you has had gods that could dispel our armies? They're all now our subjects. And yet here, here is the Almighty responding to those who foolishly had become proud, who didn't understand that they were subject to the creator of earth, the Almighty God. And he says, go ahead, man your defensive positions Go ahead and put your best guards upon your wall to watch the roads. Go ahead and put on your armor. Collect all your strength. Assemble your armies. For they will not help you. For those things in which you are putting your hope and your pride are just like chaff before an almighty God. What a vivid picture is being drawn here. And you have to recall that at the time that these words are being uttered, God's people have been under oppression by this great nation for many decades. And they have begun to think, Has God truly heard our sufferings, our cries? And these words... Would have rung in their ears. Would have been. Would have encouraged those who still put their hope and trust in Him. As they would hear of this mighty one, the Scatterer, as they would realize their champion arrived. Their champion was about to go upon the battlefield. And then we learn in verse two the purposes. Of this, Under these, or in these last few years, God's people had been being disciplined by Him. And we learned in chapter 1 that God was preparing to remove that discipline from them, to remove that burden that had been upon them. And He would do so by the removal of their enemy. Why? Verse 2 says, "...for the Lord is restoring the majesty of Jacob." As the majesty of Israel. God had heard their cries. He had witnessed the plundering that had taken place as Assyria exacted from them great riches, much of their harvest year after year. And yet, He says, these plunderers that have plundered them, they will themselves be ruined. Those who were guilty, of ruining the branches of this vine precious to him, now would be addressed. And so it's at this time that he moves down into verses 3 through 10. In verses 3 through 10, we see the battle. It's described for us. And we see how it is that the Lord makes quick work of this once proud city. As I was reading some of the historians about that great city of Nineveh during the reign of Sennacherib, When they were at their their peak of power, Sennacherib, thinking them so well protected, so secure in their domination of all the nations around them, ordered that the gates of Nineveh be broadened so that chariots could pass through. And then, on the inside of the city, he ordered that all of the streets be widened. Little did he know who it was that would truly make use of these improvements and to whom they would benefit. That's what's pictured here. You see, the foolishness and pride of Sennacherib is part of and behind the image that we see within verses 3 through 10. Because those who are carrying out the war, those who are benefiting from these broadened streets aren't the Assyrians. It is the army of God that is traveling in these streets. It is His chariots that are unobstructed and darting to and fro like lightning carrying out their attack, decimating their enemy. And those who once stood proudly against the people of God outside the wall of Jerusalem now are reduced to groveling and fleeing in every direction, such that we see within this portion in verse 8 the cries of their officers going out, Halt! Halt! Trying to keep some semblance of a fighting force present to dispel those who have invaded and come into their city. Halt! Halt! they cry, but none turns back we see the decimation of that once proud army and this great city of Nineveh that was so many days across that enjoyed a wall that was described at the time of Jonah as being over a hundred feet tall and wide enough that four chariots could run side by side around it this once great city also was the home of great treasures For as the Assyrians had gone throughout that region, they had taken away great treasures from all of the nations that they had plundered. And so they thought themselves economically secured as well as militarily secure. Kind of sounds like some folks we know, doesn't it? And yet we see here after verse 8. The order goes out from God to plunder the silver, plunder the gold. There's no end of the treasure or the wealth of all these precious things. You see, those whom are in the employ of God, carrying out this destruction. And was it Judah that invaded Nineveh? It wasn't Judah. It wasn't God's people. It was another instrument of God's choosing that swept through that great city and destroyed it. It was Babylon. It was the Babylonians that came through and carried out this destruction against this one enemy of God's people. We see here, he talks in verse 6, of another way in which they were destroyed, Sennacherib, one of the other improvements that he had brought about at Nineveh was that he installed upstream, for there was a stream that ran through or a river that ran through the midst of Nineveh, Sennacherib had installed outside of the city some sluice gates so that they could close the gates and ensure that the city would never be flooded. Here we see that part of the attack yields... The the river gates being opened and it says the palace melts away. Those who had once been so confident now are themselves the first to flee. We can see and sense the fear that must have existed as God's threatened destruction now comes upon them and they are powerless to stop it that even their rulers flee And lastly, he turns to this idea of the humbling of the king. Another thing that had marked Assyria in these years leading up to this great event, those kings who had preceded the destruction often would refer to themselves as mighty lions and typify their kingdom as a pride of lions and so God addresses those who once thought themselves as mighty as lions with the imagery that we see below. He says, where is the lion's den, the feeding place of the young lions, where the lion and the lioness went, where his cubs were, with none to disturb? The lion tore enough for his cubs and strangled prey for his lionesses. He filled his caves with prey and his dens with torn flesh. Here, even in the description of these things, the sins and the offenses before God carried out by the Assyrians and their kings is described. The kinds of atrocities. And you remember from the book of Jonah, when Jonah was told to go to Nineveh and to proclaim that warning to Nineveh, he didn't want to go. He didn't want to go because in his estimation, Nineveh wasn't worth a warning. Their offenses, their cruelty that was world-renowned, certainly wasn't worth a warning. They needed to be destroyed. And so he and his bitterness ran the other way. These were well-documented. Historians attest to the cruelties carried out by this once great nation so it's likened here to a lion tearing up its prey, ripping it into pieces, filling its dens with these things that it might fill itself. And God concludes this portion of his word with these, his final warnings, final words. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will burn your chariots in smoke. And the sword shall never, shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth. And the voice of your messengers shall no longer be heard. Even as he brings chapter 2 to its close, that memory of the audacious and offensive threatenings and fear of the messenger of the king of Assyria that had occurred outside of the wall of Jerusalem is in view. You know, A reminder that our God does not have eyes that are dim nor ears that are weak, but that he is alert to all the transgressions that occur contrary to his commands. And so his final threatening is that those who once had been in the employ of the king as his messengers to try to convince nations to put down their arms and to give up and to recognize the sovereignty and authority of Assyria, those foolish messengers will never be heard of again. And when at the appointed time, God's instruments came into Nineveh and destroyed this once great city and put down this once proud nation of Assyria. It never raised again. His destruction was total. Now, we have looked at a couple of different passages that have to do with that kind of utter destruction. This one in the book of Nahum that foreshadows what ultimately will happen to all those who are the enemy of God. And the security that is ours in Christ. The concern of God, our Heavenly Father, for those who are His. And we read in Revelation of that final battle where, if you recall from Revelation, we saw how the evil one sent out his uh, demonic forces to convince the nations to assemble in one last show of supposed strength, assembling themselves near Megiddo, that place that we recall as Armageddon, that they might take their final stand, that they might prepare for war, And yet the outcome that we read in Revelation was just like this. Those who so foolishly and proudly assembled themselves to make war against the Almighty were destroyed utterly. For those whose hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, this serves as a comfort. But it also serves as a warning for there are so many other things that want to, com- want to compete for our affections, so many other things that we might be tempted to rest our hopes, our trusts upon. And yet these things serve as a reminder that apart from Christ, anything else that we think can offer us any kind of security is foolishness, is not lasting, is soon to be destroyed. There's only one that, is re- that remains standing. The Lord Jesus Christ. So this once great nation stands destroyed. As quickly as it entered the scene, it departs, and our God continues to reign.